Welcome to another edition of Bucky's Bunker here on our Miami Valley Golf Podcast. The purpose of these podcasts is to record stories of our game's rich history, interview interesting people, and share information to help us all enjoy this wonderful sport just a little bit more. Today, Bucky welcomes Craig Kirby, the founder of Golf, My Future, My Game, to the Bunker. Well, thank you for joining uh, us for another episode of Bucky's Bunker. Today, we are honored to have Craig Kirby uh, joining us. As usual, Bucky will also be part of the conversation. So, Bucky, why don't you take it away? All right. Well, I have not met Craig before, and and uh, I was uh, happy to learn that he's a former Daytonian. Yes, sir. Craig, uh, how old are you now, if I may ask? I am 58 years young. Oh, yeah, I should have said, how young are you? <laughs> <laughs> and you graduated from what high school? I, I graduated from Chaminade Julianne High School in 1981. Okay. Did you go to any of their basketball games and that sort of thing? I did. As a matter of fact, not only Chaminade Julianne basketball games, but I remember um ud field house and oh. i i particularly remember i believe it was either 1969 or 73 i know that's a big difference but it don donaher was the head basketball coach and donald smith played on that flyers team and this was the team that took ucla into overtime. Oh yeah. <laughs> eventually losing that game. But one of the greatest games ever I've been to. I that game is still talked about here in Dayton. Yes. Yeah, that was a, it was a great game and uh, it was a, too bad that they lost. We've had uh, different players talk about it at assemblies and so forth here in town. Everybody's got a little different Drift on it. There was a play where Donald Smith made a jump shot that was to put Dayton ahead, but Donner had called a timeout. Exactly. That's that. Exactly. <laughs> and so many people remember that that was so bad that Donner called that timeout. Uh, but Donald Smith, I've seen the video of it many times, and uh, the, the UCLA players, when they heard the whistle, just dropped their arms and, and quit defending. And the ball just came to Donald at the same time, and he made the shot. But uh, the truth is that timeout had been called, and, uh, and that's the way it is. Uh, those things happen. But Donner gets remembered, gets uh, reminded of that many times. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, you know, it's so funny. I could not tell you what I had for breakfast this morning or for dinner last night, but I specifically remember that moment in time. And I have to tell you, I was a little partial to Donald Smith because he attended Roth High School. And at the time he was there, Phil Lumpkin was also there. My father was the athletic director at Roth High School then. At Roth High School? He was, yes, sir. What's his name? His name is C. Benjamin Kirby. 
And he was the AD at Roth, huh? He was the AD at Roth, and then he uh, became assistant principal at Roth when Jim Codwell was the principal. Uh So I'll tell you, Bucky and Steve, I mean, the memories that I had as a child uh, going to Roth High School and watching the likes of Donald Smith and Phil Lumpkin, and then, of course, Dwight Anderson uh, in the (laughs) 70s. I mean... We just didn't know what we had, the talent. <laughs> oh, that's right. From, from Hoover Avenue. Yeah. That is true. And and uh, uh, Dwight uh, just died recently. Did you know that? I did know that. Yes, sir. Yeah. I heard that. I was that really, I was really saddened by that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just, oh my gosh, such an athlete, just incredible. A lot of people think he was the best high school player we ever had in town. Uh, I would agree with everyone's thoughts on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's thoughts on that. I mean, Bucky, Steve, I, I just, again, I think I make 76, 62. So I was 14 years old, maybe mm-hmm. nine, whatever. Um, but I just remember that gymnasium at Roth just being packed to the gills (laughs) when Dwight played and you know you would look up and you'd see like a Joe B. Hall or a Dean (laughs) Smith I mean all of these all of these people to see Dwight Anderson number 22 Dwight Lightning or 23 Dwight Lightning (laughs) I knew Dwight really well uh, over the years and in fact I uh I had an assignment in Los Angeles uh, to cover something. I don't remember what, but uh, I knew that Dwight was at that time, he was at uh, at Southern Cal. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, I went, I called and found out when they were practicing and I went over to the LA sports arena and sat and watched practice when uh, Dwight was practicing uh, with the Trojans. And, uh, and then I took Dwight out for uh, breakfast afterwards or lunch or whatever. So we sat and had lunch in a little place there near the stadium. Wow. For the, so, yeah. Wow. So I knew him real well. And I knew a, a really good friend of his who uh, worked at the Dayton airport and he was very close to Dwight and he kept me uh, informed about what was going on when with Dwight when I didn't have, uh, didn't have any other way of knowing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, boy, when... Uh, uh, when I heard that Dwight died, I just thought, oh, it's so sad. He had a lot of fun recently helping coach the Fairmont basketball team. I heard, and, yeah. And he was an assistant coach, and I thought this is really good for him to be involved in the players that looked up to him. They knew who he was, even though they were much younger. So, Bucky, and, uh, um, so that was good. So, Craig, you graduated from Chaminade. And then you ended up at a school that probably not too many people from Dayton end up at. And and where was the school and, and uh, how was your tenure there? Uh, so when I graduated from Chaminade, I then went to Albion College, which is in Albion, Michigan. Okay. Uh, it's about 45 minutes west of the University of Michigan, small private liberal arts school, uh, college rather. And um as a matter of fact, that, Steve, is where I learned to play golf. Oh, okay, okay, okay. 
And and what was it on the Albion golf team, or was it just uh, you with other students? No, it was me and other students, Bucky. So I, I'll never forget this day either. Uh, I was sitting in the living room of the house that I lived in, uh, which was the Delta Sigma Phi house. And three of my fraternity brothers, all white guys, walked down the stairs and they said, hey, Kirby, we're going to play a round of golf. Would you like to join us? And Steve, Bucky, I had never played golf in my life. Had never even <laughs> been on a golf course, let alone hold a club. Never. And so I looked at them and I went, well, sure. <laughs> and I said, sure, because I was too embarrassed to tell them that I had never played. Yeah. So we all get in the car and I go, well, do I need some clubs? And they say, well, Craig, we got you taken care of. We get we get to the golf course and, and I have to share on the ride out. They're just laughing and talking and just having the time of their life, the whole six minute ride to the course. And I'm in the back seat, like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> so we, we get to the course and they hand me my set of clubs and then they go, well, Craig, you're up. And I said, oh, no, no, not at all. I said, I have to let I have to let both beauty, talent and success for greatness. And, and so, Bucky, I just sat back and I watched each one of them swing. And I mean, I was an athlete, so I had some coordination. And um, I drove that ball. It probably went about 150 yards, but it was straight down the middle. Oh, my goodness. That that was, you know, as they say, golf is an endless series of tragedies <laughs> obscured by the occasional miracle. That was my one miracle. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so that that's how I started to play golf and uh, ended up playing 18, did OK uh, enough so that they invited me back the next week. So I went out the next the following week. It's pretty good. That's really good. That's a that's a pretty good golf start. I, I know I remember my first shot on a golf course. There was a there was a maintenance uh, shed off to the right of the fairway, and I uh, kind of sliced my ball over and it hit the maintenance shed. Oh my! And so now the ball is laying against the maintenance shed, and the the hole is on the other side of the shed. Oh my! <laughs> and I thought, now how do I get from here to there? <laughs> oh my! Wow! <laughs> and I was informed that you're just going to have to waste a couple of shots now. You're going to have to hit one sideways, and then another one partly sideways to get back to the fairway. So, <laughs> wow. all about geography. Yeah, that's so, right. So you graduated from there, probably in the early '80s, I'm assuming, or late '70s. Uh, 85 is when I graduated from Calvin. Okay. 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 And then, um, uh, how, how did you get to Washington, DC? What was your path from, um, uh, Albion to, to DC and, and, uh, some of the really neat opportunities you've had along the way? So I graduated in May of 1985, gentlemen, and I did not have a job. I did not have the inkling of a job 
I didn't even know what a job was. <laughs> so <laughs> I graduate, I come back to Dayton. I have now been forced to go to the basement because my youngest youngest sister took my bedroom. Oh, okay. And I just am like, okay. And my father looks at me and he says, now, Craig, um, we're, it's nice to have you back home, but I think you might want to uh, figure out what you're going to do during the day as opposed to just sitting. And I said, okay, well, in December of 84, I was in Washington. It was my first semester senior year. And I ran for president of the American Student Association. And that was a national lobby group that represented students across the excuse me, across the country at colleges and universities. And I just I will share when I was at Albion, I was the student senate president for two years. So I was involved politically in student government. But when I was out in Washington, I just happened to meet a woman by the name of Yolanda Carraway, who at the time was the chief of staff to Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson Sr. And I met her at my uncle's Christmas party. Uh, I had no idea who she was and really didn't care. I was a senior at a holiday party. There was lots of food, so I was just happy. <laughs> um, but somehow the two of us were in the kitchen at the same time and we just started talking and I just was saying crazy stuff because again I'm happy I'm just like look at all this food oh my um, it, it was enough to grab her attention and so I then you know move ahead to May of 85 um, I've graduated my uncle called me in June of 85 and he said, nephew, uh, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm looking at the Cosby show. And he goes, no, <laughs> what are you doing with your life? And I said, I'm looking at the Cosby show. <laughs> so then he says, well, do you remember Miss Yolanda Carraway that you met at our home? And I went, oh, yeah, I remember that lady. And he goes, well, she's interested in interviewing you um, to be a part of some campaign. And at the time, I was working at Third National Bank as a management trainee, which did not pan out too well. Let's just say if Parr was a 30, I was at a 78. All right. It just it, it wasn't happening. So I, I came and I interviewed and I was offered the position to work on the um, to work with the National Rainbow Coalition. And again, this was really special because it was after Reverend Jackson's 84 campaign, his first presidential campaign, and we were preparing for the second presidential campaign. So I started with Reverend Jackson in January of 86. Um, and I literally was with him every day for three and a half years, every single day. Wow. So as he 
built the National Rainbow Coalition, I had a, a great seat in history. Um, and that's what started me in politics. Uh, I left Reverend Jackson and then I went to Eastman Kodak for a couple years as a sales rep. And then I ran a city council race in Washington, D.C. and won. Um, and I was happy. I mean, I was happy working and being on the city council. And I got a call in January of 92 from the governor's office in Arkansas, a gentleman by the name of Bill Clinton. And they said, hey, listen, you know, we, we know you traveled with Jesse Jackson. Would you be interested in traveling with Governor Clinton? And I said, yeah, okay, that, that, that's fine. I'll do it for a weekend. And uh, a weekend turned out to be three days. And then three days became two weeks. And the next thing I knew, I was on the Clinton uh, campaign. Um, <laughs> and just, again, got to see the world. Um, you know, before working with Governor Clinton, I was really fortunate to work with Ron Brown, uh, who was the chairman of the Democratic National Committee. And um, Clinton wins. And I tell you, I just thought that I was going to go back to my city council position in D.C. And I received a phone call from a gentleman by the name of Mark Guerin. And he said, Craig, we'd like to talk with you. And of course, being a young man of color, I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do wrong? <laughs> I, I know I, I know I did something that I wasn't supposed to do. And so Mark looks at me and he goes, you know, Craig, a lot of people have looked at you over the past few months during this campaign and they like you. You're just you've done a very good job. Would you like to work at the White House? And I looked at him and I went, okay, well, where? And he goes, for the White House chief of staff. And I went, oh, well, let me think about it. So I turned my back and I immediately turned back to him and said, yes, I will. <laughs> so I was the uh, special assistant to the White House chief of staff in the Clinton administration. And my boss was the White House Chief of Staff, Mac McClarty. So I worked for Mac McClarty as well as Erskine Bowles, another White House Chief of Staff. And um, then throughout that whole eight-year uh, tenure, I worked for both President Clinton and Vice President Gore. Uh, traveling the country, traveling the world, I um, was on their advance team and I handled all of their national politics. And that is what essentially gave me my my stare, my steps to being in national politics, where for about 35 plus years, I managed campaigns all across the country, uh, mayor, congressional, Senate, governor campaigns. And I'll tell you, gentlemen, there was only one campaign, one that I lost. Um, and that was debatable. That was the 2000 presidential campaign uh, for, for then Vice President Al Gore. But that was my life in politics. So that gets, yes. that gets us to then um, it, it, an amazing run. And then so did you have a big hole in your life when, when that whole thing went down and you lost? Uh, um, 
You know, Steve, it was it was upsetting, yes. Uh, but then I kind of had my second half, and um, that's when I went back to the DNC. Okay. So I worked at the DNC three times, one for Ron Brown. Um, then I was the Southern political director under Terry McAuliffe, former governor of Virginia. And then I was the director of the vice chair's office for Governor Howard Dean. Um, when I left the DNC, I then went to former Governor Mark Warner's um, campaign. He was going to run for president in 2008, and we were getting him ready. I was going to actually manage the campaign. And then in October of 2007, just before the, the flight was about to take off, he said, you know, I just don't want to do this. <laughs> and we looked at him and we said, oh. what? <laughs> and I went, well, gone." So, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was talking to a very dear friend, Maine Riley, who has since passed. And Maine said, Craig, you like golf, don't you? And I said, well, Maine, I do play at it, yes. <laughs> and I do like it. Now, you know, liking something and being good at it are two different things. Yes, and she goes, well, Craig, why don't you have Mark call Tim? And I looked at Maine and I said, Maine, what apostles are you talking about? Mark who? Tim who? And she goes, Mark Warner called Tim Fincham. And I said, oh, he knows Tim Fincham? He says, yes, he does. And at that point, <clears throat> Tim Fincham was the commissioner of the PGA Tour. Governor Warner calls Commissioner Fincham and a meeting is arranged. And I go down in November of 2008 for what I thought was just going to be a 45 minute, you know, check the box meeting. Well, <clears throat> that meeting ended up being five hours. So not only did I meet with Commissioner Fincham, but I met with his whole senior staff. So Charlie Zink and Ty Votal, Joe Lewis Barrow. I mean, literally the whole senior team. And we talked about diversity in golf and growing the game. Well, gentlemen, as you remember, 2008 was when the economy just tanked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it wasn't like the industry was concerned about diversity. I mean, they were just concerned about keeping their pants up and on. So I, you know, kind of took a little hiatus for about three days, but <laughs> I, I kept going at this. And then in 2014, I received a phone call from Joe Lewis Farrell, who was then the executive director of the National First Tee. And he said, Craig, are you still interested in your diversity program, your diversity initiative? And I went, Joe, I am. And he goes, well, you know, I'd like for you to um, call a friend of mine, a colleague. And that colleague was Steve Mona, okay. who was uh, CEO of the World Golf Foundation. And I prepared for that meeting. As a matter of fact, it was the same weekend, Steve, as TP as the Players Championship. Okay. okay. So not only did I get to have a great session with both Steve and Joe, mm -hmm. I got to go to the Players Championship. Neat. 
So it was kind of cool. It was really cool. And, um, you know, I came back, I mean, after the meeting, um, I, after I made my presentation on what and how I wanted to do what I wanted to do, Steve Mona looked at me and he said, Craig, I think this is really good. Um, we're going to give you an avenue to do it. I, I just want you to know we don't have any funding for you or for this. <laughs> but, you know, but you, you got a car. Go. Yeah. And I, and I looked at him and I said, well, Steve, Joe, I said, first off, thank you for your time and your commitment to this meeting. Um, and thank you for the opportunity for me to do what I want to do. And I just started doing it. I mean, I just, I went for it. And okay. each and every day I would wake up with a mission and a purpose. And that mission and that purpose is golf, my future, my game, uh, which is what I do each and every day. And that is, you know, to peak interest in the game of golf, to create a connection to the game and to highlight the economic opportunities that this game has. And this is all targeted towards underrepresented communities. And I think the thing that makes this even more special is the fact that we can build these strategic alliances. And, and one of these strategic alliances is with Steve Jorick and the Miami Valley Golf Association. I mean, to be able to have someone on the ground, but more importantly, who understands and appreciates golf is just very fortunate for us. So we really have the best of both worlds, both the inside world and the outside world. Um, and, and so that's it. Well, Bucky, I don't know about you, but that's that's a wonderful journey, and, and I'm so glad you shared that with us. Um, you know, when we talk about golf, my future, my game, um, and uh, we talk about how we're, we had planned on starting it um, this past season, but COVID obviously shut us down. And I'm so looking forward to seeing what 2021 brings when we start this program in late, in early June. Um, you know, do you want to really kind of talk through the idea of, you know, the STEMA and, and some other things behind the, the education and the connection to golf? that you, you see developing through these programs? Sure. So, Steve, golf, a lot of people don't realize golf is an $84 billion a year industry. There are a ton of jobs in the industry that a lot of folks just know nothing about. And when you sit back and you think about golf, it's played on grass. Um, and so our whole STEMA program, which is science, technology, engineering, arts, math, and agriculture. And Bucky, we add those two A's, agriculture and arts, because of the potential job opportunities. Mm -hmm. Architect architecture, or excuse me, arts, leans into the whole architecture piece, which is the ability for a young person to design a golf course, to design a hole. You know, one of the guys or one of the gentlemen that I work with is a man by the name of Brandon Johnson. And Brandon Johnson, African-American, 
uh, designs golf courses. He actually works for the Arnold Palmer companies oh. and spent several years with Mr. Palmer learning about golf, learning about how to design a golf course. And then that other A, agriculture, we're talking about agronomy. We're talking about turf science. We're talking about grass being green. You know, again, as I tell our kids, there's money in that grass. And that, and that money in that grass is if you've got a beautiful golf course that's pristine with great greens and wonderful fairways, wonderful lush fairways, you're going to have players out there. If you have players out there, they're going to buy beverages. They're going to buy food. They're going to go to the pro shop. So it's very important that kids learn about these opportunities. And again, to have someone with Steve Jorick's commitment to seeing this industry grow, to seeing the depth of this industry become deeper, it's really significant and it's really powerful. And more importantly, it brings me back to a time in Dayton, Ohio, when Dayton, Ohio was a special place, when there were opportunities for young people. And that's what we plan to do. We plan to not only educate them about the game of golf, make them feel comfortable with the game, make sure that the game is in their toolkit, but again, to show them that, you know, you can also get a job in this industry. You can start out cutting grass and you could end up being a golf course designer, or you could be an agronomist that travels the world and says, oh, you know, you need to put these kinds of seeds in and not these, or you should have Bermuda grass instead of rye. All these things that folks just don't know about. Um, Craig, uh, I'm speaking to kind of why we're having this conversation and the intended program we're gonna have at Yankee Trace in June. Um, maybe you could give us a little bit of an overview of that program. Well, certainly. First off, to be able to go to Yankee Trace is just a privilege and a joy. I mean, Yankee Trace knows how golf should be played. Um, but while there, Steve, Bucky, we have the support of two organizations that are pretty powerful in the golf industry. One of them is the GCSAA which is Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. We have the full support of Brett Evans, who is the CEO of GCSAA. And we also have very strong and full support of Mark Jordan. Uh, Mark is this year's board president. Uh, Mark also is a natural resource leader at Westfield Country Club in Westfield, Ohio. To be able to have the support at that level is only a plus for for our kids, for our students. Well, we also yeah. have the support of the PGA of America. Uh, they are all about workforce development, and they're all about being able to, to grow and broaden their, uh, their group of individuals. So again, having the support of both PGA of America and GCSAA, in concert with the Miami Valley Golf Association and Yankee Trace and some of the city leaders in Dayton. It's a win-win-win situation for everyone. Well, and you know, we don't want to forget about uh, my upstream, which is the USGA and uh, Carter Rich is going to be with us uh, and kick off the first 
Encore session. And uh, Carter is the Senior Director of Equipment and Rules for the USGA. And so basically, all the golf balls that get approved, all of the equipment that gets approved, because basically anything that you play golf with in the United States is approved through these methods he is in charge of. So if you want to talk about science, this is the man that can connect science to the game of golf like no other. So we, we have uh, a lot of people part of this program. Not only that, Alex Yazelle is uh, from TrackMan. He'll be there and uh, we're going to probably visit a, a solar farm uh, that's right across the street at the end of the month. And so I think we've got a great program shaping up for that. Craig, do you want to do. do you want to kind of talk about you know how we intend to identify uh, the, uh, the 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 kids that are going to be involved? I know it's going to be you know pretty pretty finite group and, and a very segmented group. How are we going to identify those kids? So we are working with city leaders in Dayton. Uh, three in particular. One is former Mayor Ryan McClinn, uh, who is over at the um, oh shoot, Wesley. Delphus, Wesley Center. Um, Wesley Center. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Wesley Center. And we're also working with uh, Council or City Commissioner Chris Shaw. Uh, Chris Shaw and I have a great, long, and storied history. We both went to Chaminade Julianne together. So Chris is 100% supportive of us and wants to see us do well. And we've also gotten support and will get support from Jeff Mims, who's also on the uh, city commission in Dayton. And then my ultimate go-to person, gentlemen, is of course my dad, um, Mr. Kirby, C. Benjamin Kirby, who knows just about everybody in the city of Dayton. Um, but our goal is to, to look and to find kids from underrepresented communities, particularly from the west side of Dayton, so that we can provide them with a passport to the world of business via the sport of golf. I mean, that, that's our ultimate goal. And the one thing that I share with so many parents, and, and Steve has this same uh, sentiment, is that you know, golf is more than a game. Golf truly is a lifetime experience with unparalleled possibilities. And it's up to us to show these unparalleled possibilities to, to our kids. You know, kind of following that through, um, you know, there is, uh, we're obviously trying to develop a path forward um, from a fairly young age uh, through higher education even. And do you want to maybe speak a little bit about what could be can transpiring at Wilberforce, or are we a little early on that? Well, no, we're not too early because I just had a call last night about that, Steve. Okay. You know, I work for Steve Jordan, and I don't mind doing it either because he's <laughs> just such a great man. I mean that. But, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to be talking with Wilberforce University uh, to the president, and um, we're going to talk with them about establishing a Golf My Future of My Game intern with the Miami Valley Golf Association so that these students can begin to learn the ins and outs of the industry. Uh, Wilberforce is in our backyard. And Wilberforce, some people may know, some people may not know, 
but they received a pretty substantial amount of money. Uh, I think within the past month, Steve, yeah. from some, some, from some, from some professional golfers and some professional wannabe golfers. Um, I think they, I think they got about a hundred thousand um, dollars. They came from that match between uh, Lefty, uh, Phil, Phil Nicholson, yeah. Nicholson, and um, Charles Barkley, and um, the quarterback. I can Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning and Steph Curry. Yeah, and Steph Curry. Yes. So you know, for Wilberforce to be acknowledged and recognized. And to receive that funding was just like a knock on the door. And Steve, I have to commend you because you said, Craig, you know what? Let's make this happen, happen, not just happen. <laughs> well, you know, what's really interesting about Wilberforce and, and, and starting to look at some of that information myself is I, I did not know that it was the first uh, uh uh, black college, essentially in the nation, dating back pre-Civil War time, and yes. uh, that was pretty neat. And then I also learned uh, that um, Bill Powell is a distinguished graduate of there, and uh, we're going to go up and see his daughter. Um, uh, part of this youth on or part of the uh, uh, the summer training with uh, golf, my future, my game. Uh, and I don't know if you want to speak anything to that connection. I know, obviously, you've known Renee for quite a while. Um, I have. I've been very fortunate to know LeBron Dom of golf, yeah. which is what I call her. I mean, anytime, <laughs> you know, anytime they name a building after you in St. Andrews, you're yeah. a pretty significant person. Yes. I, um, you know, and it's funny. I just spoke with Renee literally yesterday. Um, and we are taking our kids up to Clearview. Steve, as you know, mm -hmm. uh, for a, it's for a field trip for a day of golf at Clearview. Uh, Clearview is celebrating their 75th anniversary this year, which is quite an accomplishment, quite a feat. Um, and the fact that her dad is a graduate of Wilberforce University is just so powerful. Um, you know, here's a man that was in the U.S. military, uh, took a liking to golf, came back. And, and really couldn't find a place that would accept him or that would allow him to play the game. So he said, you know what? I'm just going to make my own course. And that's what he did. And so what started off as a nine-hole course is now a beautiful 18-hole course. And it's very historic. And I, I'll tell you, I can't wait, Steve, to go up there with you this summer with our kids. I'm looking um, forward to it's it. Tr it's, it's truly going to be, for me, as exciting as the first time I had a chance to play that golf course in Dayton. You know uh -huh. what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know, that what's one... interesting about that, Craig, is uh, both uh, Clearview up in, uh, up in I, I believe it's in the Canton area, yeah, and um, uh, Miami Valley Golf Club, same distinction, and that is that they're both on the National Historic Registry of basically golf courses, uh, obviously for different reasons, but uh, right. they share that distinction. So there's a lot of connection to Dayton in the golf community. And, you know, as we wrap up this conversation, um, 
Craig, maybe why don't you talk a little bit about some of the other boards that you're a part of? I know that that you're on some PGA Diversity Council and and, and a few others that uh, you know people might be able to to kind of think of you as a resource when it comes to you know activities of diversity or or or, or just inclusion. Um, would you mind sharing that? Certainly. Only if we can have lunch at Frisch's when I come home. No, I don't like Frisch's. No, <laughs> That's my favorite eating spot, man. Between yeah, Frisch's okay. and Casano's, you you just, I'll do whatever you want. That's all right. But, um, <laughs> when we get together, we, we'll go to Frisch's. Uh, I know just where to go. So. All right. Um, so, you know, I was just selected to be a director for the Western Golf Association. Oh, my goodness. so special to me. Yes, it is. Um, as we all know, caddying and the significance of the Evans scholars. I, mm -hmm. I would love to be able to have young people who look like me have the opportunity to be in that pool where mm -hmm. they can become an Evans scholars. I mean, you talk about Bucky, a life changing experience. I mean, I've been a part of some of the finalist presentations and that's just special. And also I'm on the board of the national links trust here in Washington, D.C. And the National Links Trust, uh, we, our mission is affordability and accessibility for golf courses and golf play. Uh, we were able to win a 50-year lease of the three Washington, D.C. golf courses. So East Potomac, Langston Golf Course, and then Rock Creek. And we're going in, we're making renovations to these courses. Uh, but we're also having a huge community engagement process with these courses. And so as I've shared with our co-founders, Will Smith and Michael McCracken, for me, the goal is that we have folks from the communities come to the golf courses on the weekends and in the evenings and be excited about it just as they become excited about going to the mall, all right? The mall is a great place to go, but you, I want them to be able to come to a golf course and have fun, have exercise, and again, put themselves in a position where maybe economically it could help them in the long run. So I'm just, I'm so fortunate to be on both of these boards. Well, I mean, both the board and to be a director and to be a part of the PGA of America their uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, talent acquisition work group. So, Bucky, obviously, you know why we had him on, you know. <laughs> um, and um, Craig, I, I, I really, really appreciate your time. Um, I, you know, in the short, almost a year and a half that we've known each other now, I've really come to to uh, appreciate and, and treasure you. Uh, and, and your commitment. And uh, I'm so looking forward to actually stop talking about it and putting it into play. And we will we'll do that very shortly. And Bucky, thanks again for leading this conversation. Uh, do you have any closing comments, Buck? No, I'm just uh, very impressed with, with Craig and all of what he's done and what the ideas are for the future. Uh, a lot of this stuff can happen. I don't think this is I don't think you're uh, reaching at all here. These, these things are all possible. Well, thank you. Thank you. And, they, you know, Bucky, they will happen. I'll tell you, when you have two bulls, Steve and me, 
and not the china shop but just the, the shop we're going to make it happen yes yeah. we, we we care about our kids and steve and i have had conversations about dating when dating was dating i mean when it was a place where the promise of success truly was the practice of success Thanks to Bucky and Craig for joining us for this podcast and to you for listening. For more information on this or other podcasts, visit miamivalleygolf.org or to look up Craig's organization, visit golfmyfuturemygame.org.